I just recently got really into Brussels sprouts. Just? Oh my god, I love Brussels sprouts. Okay, well, I'm sorry that I don't live in New York City like you. <laughs> god. No, I love Brussels sprouts before they were cool. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. First of all, like, that's not an accomplishment. And second of all, like, that was also a lie. So, Five. I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> Hi, I'm Baylin. And I'm Dana. And this is Philosophy in the Bedroom. You called it the cult of Nora Ephron, which I thought was clever. I don't even remember what that was in reference to. It was bragging about your experiences in a public forum because Nora Ephron started the whole... Oh, yeah. Right, like New York confessionary writing Uh with, like, witticisms. So many people have, like, think that they're Nora Ephron, but they're not, and they just need to shut the fuck up, you know? Right, because Nora Ephron had editors. Yeah, and she was, like, a great fucking writer. It's (laughs) The thing about Nora Ephron-esque prose is that it's, it's deceptively simple, right? It seems like almost no effort has gone into it, but actually... As I think you and I have discussed before, it's like the result of not only Efron being a, a literary great, but also good editing. Yes, a process of picking and choosing what needs to be included yeah, and what not, needs to be excluded and kept private. And it's not just what you think is brilliant at the moment. Right. Right after you got out of the gym or had a beer. Or like tried ayahuasca. You know, like... Ayahuasca? Do I have to teach you about drugs? (laughs) (laughs) Ayahuasca? You've never heard about this? No. What? Oh. It's something, like, all the hippies in California are doing, I guess. And I guess other places as well. Apparently, you have this, like, ceremony, and then everyone has to wear white, and then you drink some sort of tea that has drugs in it, and then you have this, like, transcendental experience, but then it results in you puking your guts out. That could be lots of things. <laughs> right, but, like, what you're describing is actually a process. It's actually, like, something. What I'm talking about are, like, 18-year-olds on their phones writing some Twitter message and thinking they're brilliant, even though they put it literally one second of thought into that okay like maybe that's one form of what we're talking about but i also think that most of the people who are writing think pieces for like exo jane places (laughs) like that you know like people always think that their experiences are profound and usually they're like mid to late 20s think that they're the most original person who's like struggling to figure out their purpose and then usually it's something about some sort of breakup or going to find themselves in some, like, exotic foreign country or, like, trying some sort of drug, you know? Oh, I hate the whole going to find yourself in some exotic foreign country. I know it's ironic that I'm saying this because I actually do this. (laughs) (laughs) You pulled an eat, pray, love, didn't you? (laughs) Never read it. Don't want to. (laughs) Doesn't, Doesn't mean you're not guilty of it, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that makes me worse, you know? Probably, like... No, actually, I don't think so. I I will point at self-awareness, just, you know, hypocrisy. Well, if you're self-aware about something, you might think it makes you better. But usually, 
um, that makes you worse because you continue to do the thing you know is fucked up or yeah, stupid. That's what or, I mean. Like, at what yeah. point is self-awareness just hypocrisy? Right. I guess I'm just expanding on that on that <laughs> lovely one-liner. <laughs> I thank you. That's because I'm brilliant, like Nora Ephron. <laughs> yeah, and see, now this is just feeding into... The cycle the, is complete. <laughs> the trend, yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Paris, Je T'aime? Paris, I love you. No, no, no. Okay. Say, say it with a with a thicker like Midwest accent. Paris, je t'aime. <laughs> Paris, je t'aime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, but that's my <laughs> that gets to my whole point, right? Because in that yeah. film, which is actually most of the vignettes are directed by French directors, there's one that's this chubby, clearly Midwestern American woman who has gone to Paris and she's sitting on the Champ de Mars looking at the Eiffel Tower or something like that, doing the most cliche choice activities and in like very broken French, or not even broken French, elementary level French with a super thick American accent. She's talking about like how much France means to her and it's this kind of beautiful moment where it's like clearly she doesn't really know what the fuck's going on. She's not immersed in French culture She's just come here because of these ideals that Americans have about, like, the old world Europe being, like, an artistic place of love and all that shit, right? But she's still earnest enough that you you love her anyway. She's really trying to understand. So that's what makes it kind of, like, adorable. So maybe that's, like, in defense of the horrible tourists. Yeah, I envy people like that because they are living a more... I think, pure experience, untainted by (laughs) self-awareness. It's about the the least pure experience in terms of, like, understanding another culture, but most pure in terms of of idealism. Yeah, exactly. She sees France for, like, its best self, you know, more so than any Parisian would. (laughs) And not even, like, its best self. It's just, like, its imagined self. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. Like, she sees it as this utopian sort of ideal. And then, you know, if you really live there and you're immersed in the culture, you see... Like how they're racist against Muslims and like uh-huh. all that shit. So I don't know. Naivete. I guess there's something to be said for it, maybe. It must have been the onion or something like that I saw this in, but it was like 20 somethings in India ask, where do we go to find spiritual awakening? <laughs> I think they go to California, probably. <laughs> and uh, do, do some right. ayahuasca. That's what I'm saying, right? No, they moved to Silicon Valley. Oh, fuck that. You're not going to get any sort of, like, existential awareness there. Well, that's the whole point. All you get is zeros and ones. I just feel so dissociated from experiences now, you know? (laughs) Do you actually, or did you just read that somewhere and now you're, like, kind of just saying it to see how it sounds? No. (laughs) No, actually. Actually. You know, like, I can't go to Paris and be like, oh, it's beautiful in the Eiffel Tower without thinking like, no, this is a complex society with their own shit that we're dealing with. You can't run away from your shit in America by thinking that other people don't have some... I I feel dissociated from, like, the experience I'm supposed to be having when I go traveling. But I also, I don't think that that's totally true. I think that, yeah, a lot of the time... If you're intelligent enough as a person, like, you'll recognize that there's no beautiful Arcadian place where, like, everything's perfect. But I do think that life is full of little moments of forgetting how awful everything is. And that's basically why we don't all kill ourselves. (laughs) Yes. I would also just like to rage against lifestyle blogs. There are several things that I hate about these. 
Mm-hmm. One is the standard of living that's imposed on the rest of us poor souls. Yes. Everything is designer. All the furniture is designer or maybe thrifted, you know, but like not not cheap. And then on top of that, it's pure navel gazing. All of their experiences are unique. And ultimately they're all like, I love to travel. I just love having crazy adventures. It's like, dude, everyone says that. If you go through like OkCupid and look at 15 dating profiles, 13 of them will say that they love to travel. It doesn't make you a rich person. Everyone likes traveling and yet no one does it because they're all working too much or they're poor and they can't afford to. And also having crazy adventures. Yeah. Those are not crazy adventures. Like going to <laughs> Costa Rica and like cliff diving mm-hmm. and wearing a cute bikini. Right. Wearing a cute bikini was the whole point of that. Yeah. The cliff diving, the entire culture of another people is just background to your cute bikini. Right. I mean, the whole trip was planned around the lifestyle blog. Let's be honest. Around the cute bikinis. Yeah. And, and then finally, and this is like my major sticking point, is this over-aestheticization of everything. Everything has to be curated. I fucking hate that this was like the word of the year in like 2014 or 2015. I forget which one. I feel like you have probably a more personal investment in that word. Yes, because as like a current and future curator, I take offense to you thinking that your collection of shit from anthropology is curated. Uh Your fucking blog is not curated. And also, okay, the aesthetic of whiteness. I'm going to write a navel-gazing think piece about this. You should. (laughs) Because (laughs) everything is white. Look up any lifestyle blog. It's these like pristine white surfaces with precious objects placed on them very methodically. And then, of course, all the people in it are white. All the dogs are white. Everything's fucking white. (laughs) And it's like, okay, you guys are all carbon copies of each other. I think it's based on like some original person in California who started all this shit. I'm blaming California for everything. In the Asian community, there are a lot of these lifestyle blogs and a lot of these gurus, especially like YouTube gurus. Right. Yeah. There's these Asian girls who all think they are unique and they have their own style and their own thing. And it turns out they're just all following the same three YouTube gurus. See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, of course. I just feel I used to be angry about this. Yes, because it used to be just something that that's so phony about it and it's so vulgar about it. But, you know, now I'm just thinking like, there's really no threshold of entry to becoming a, a blogger or to becoming a quote-unquote guru. It really is just someone who like knows how to do the internet and calls himself that. Someone who knows how to do the internet. Baylin, 2016. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree. I just, what makes me a little bit annoyed is the superficiality, the materialism, mm-hmm. the phoniness of it, at the risk of sounding like Holden Caulfield. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's all a mirage. You know what I mean? It's the product of this upper middle class, white existence, And these women in their 20s, they're like smart enough to know they should be doing something and not smart enough to know what they should do (laughs) with their lives, I mean. They're smart enough to know they should be doing something. And I wouldn't say they're not smart enough. I would just say not ambitious enough. They've been placated by capitalism. (laughs) Seriously, I mean They're not ambitious enough to do something that's outside the scope of their own... Paltry existence. (laughs) Narcissism. Yeah, well, that too. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, I think we agree on that. <laughs> All right, I'll stop ranting now. But that's essentially Martha Stewart, right? That's her whole career. Nah, dude. Martha Stewart's so much better than that. <laughs> that's what she's doing, just better. You know? know? It's a lifestyle that she's selling. Yes, it is, but I... And it's very white. Okay, but best Martha Stewart episode ever was when she had Snoop Dogg on. <laughs> Actually, he, he's been on at least twice. It's fucking <laughs> hilarious. It's comedy gold. I'm telling you. Oh my god, okay. We, I have we, to can, look it up. we can link to these on the blog because they're maybe the most amazing Martha Stewart episodes ever. I, I do acknowledge that, yeah, like usually there's a certain whiteness and upper middle. Well, not even. I feel like Martha Stewart's just upper class. She's got like eight homes. They're all tastefully yeah. furnished. But on the other hand, there are some good aspects. She herself is a businessman, she or a businesswoman. She herself is an entrepreneur. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's an entrepreneur. Yeah, she's like getting shit done. She herself is separate from the Martha Stewart persona. Yeah. She is actually playing a character, which makes her actually less authentic. Yeah, but I don't think like raising chickens and gardening is, is like fake of her. I think she's been doing that shit for 20 years. No, her persona is clearly cultivated and and designed you know what i mean like she herself is the product i mean yes the way that she looks and the way that she generally acts but if you watch her show you'll see that she's not like miss pris she's kind of vulgar has a really good sense of humor if she were like a stepford wife type she would not have had a show for as long as yes. she did I, I can see what you mean i think that actually she's like a fairly authentic human being <laughs> I do. I genuinely do. I don't think the, like, authenticity is... I realize that authenticity is kind of just a myth or something. Yes, yes, that's what I'm going for. But I think the key is that the purpose of these lifestyle bloggers, how, like, everyone and their sister has a lifestyle blog, the purpose of those is narcissism and egocentrism. They're doing it for looks. Whereas, like, Martha Stewart, the purpose of hers is a product that's more of honest. Yeah. Yeah, it is. The thing with her is I think that this polished, like, white persona, she does that because you need to do that if you want, like, a daytime TV show, but I don't actually think that that's how she is, whereas the people who are doing lifestyle blogs, that is how they are. They're superficial and everything's fake. I think you can get a sense of her real persona that kind of shines through the Mm -hmm. veneer that she puts on Mm -hmm. to be on tv or to have a magazine or whatever yeah i feel like the polished white persona she's doing it for business whereas the other people are doing it because lack of imagination (laughs) (laughs) or socialized aspirations yeah i like to look at recipes right i like to cook and I hate going to these cooking blogs. And I see a recipe and it's three pages of writing about their day. Oh, yeah, I know. And then you have recipe all the way at the bottom in like yeah. little box. And so I was like, no one cares about your day. And yet, I think that they do. I mean, I don't. <laughs> but I think some people do because this is how this is how the Pioneer Woman got her Food Network show. She has her own Food Network show now? Yeah, dude. And she oh, started out with a blog and by talking about her dumb homespun lifestyle. Oh, dear Lord. So, I mean, like, weirdly, I think this is what people do want. This reminds me of something that Willa Cather wrote. 
She was talking about different forms of literature, about how there's high literature and like amazing literature, and then there's the crap that gets published all the time. And she says it's kind of like when you're buying furniture or something, you go to the store and you see this tacky doll that everybody buys, and then there's things that are more valuable and like more expensive, and but maybe not a lot of people actually want. And she's saying like same thing with literature; this serves different functions. Sometimes some people want like an antique desk or something. Some people want a crappy little figurine. Yeah. So, are we the people that want the crappy figurine? <laughs> no, no, no. Like her point was, <laughs> if someone makes a crappy f- figurine, don't judge them by saying you didn't make something significant,、mm-hmm. because maybe they weren't even trying to make something significant. Maybe they were just trying to make a crappy figurine. Yeah, I mean that's basically the distinction between art and kitsch. Mm. Kitsch. That was what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> From an art historian, you're welcome. Yes, there we go. Yeah.、Um, <laughs> right, but but my point is, when we're talking about about these blogs, like it's one thing if the bloggers, okay, I'm making this. I'm not writing the next. I don't know. Jane Austen book, or like you want to be the next、uh, Bronte sister. I'm just doing like my, you know, dinky little thing. Like that, I think is is a level of authenticity, right? But the lifestyle bloggers, the ones who are associated with quote unquote lifestyle blogs, are the ones who are pretending to aspire to something significant when they're really just making kitsch. If they were to come straight out and be like, "This is crap," and that's what I was aspiring to, anyways, we'd be like, "Great, you did what you set out to do." Right?、Uh-huh. But they're like, "Oh my god, my life is so interesting." I'm like, "No, no, it's not." Right. And I mean, my question to get more to your point is, who is the audience for this? Because、yeah. Kitch has an audience. Kitch is mass marketed goods that appeal to people's basest instincts, basically.、Mm-hmm. But like these lifestyle blogs, right? If you're You know, some blonde suburbanite, twenty-year-old, making her own blog. Who do you honestly think wants to read that? There isn't an audience. You just think that there is because you're self-important, kind of like、mm-hmm. us with this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> be a little Aha, self-aware, but moment of self-awareness. Self-aware <laughs> but hypocritical, right? Yes. Okay. So, so that's. I mean, that's my thing. Is like. There isn't an audience for them, and maybe not for us. I guess we'll find out. But、yeah. but they imagine an audience, and then really, ultimately, it's、yeah. also fucking fake. It's just like people、mm-hmm. who p- post on Facebook about their vacations or some expensive thing that they just bought or were gifted by their boyfriend or their wedding photos or their honeymoon photos or their baby photos. Right? It's all just this effort to make their life look good and other people's lives look bad, and then it holds us all to this incredibly high. Standard where everything we do has to be aesthetic. Every experience that we have has to be extremely emotionally fulfilling. And like, it's all crap. It's not real. And I'm not going to be held to that standard. I refuse to have fulfilling experiences. I want banal, <laughs> pointless experiences because that's what life is. Right. Yes. That's your manifesto. <laughs> yeah. And like, okay.、I、don't want fulfilling experiences. Interspersed with. One tiny moment of、uh-huh. feeling completely transcendent,、uh-huh. and that lasts like twenty、right. seconds, and then it's、right. another year of shit. You better not share that moment on Facebook. No, fuck no, <laughs> no. Okay, the other day, I'll tell you one of my transcendent moments. Was it the other night? <laughs>、okay. I was th- I was sitting in my room, and I was thinking, like, oh my god, isn't air amazing? <laughs> 
I was totally, and I wasn't high. I okay, wasn't I was drunk. Just ask that. No, if you actually like think about the world, the world is fucking amazing. You don't have yes, to go to Australia yes. to fucking figure it out. You know, just thinking about like air being all around us, and that our body like instinctively knows to mm-hmm. breathe, and that we have everything that we need and we're immersed in it air is amazing did i post about that on facebook no did i have to go to a foreign country to figure that out no it's just a matter of being tuned in to like what's happening around you yeah and you don't have to make a hashtag blessed yeah (laughs) although you know maybe i will funny wouldn't it it's so amazing i want to start doing some sarcastic (laughs) Hashtag. I stub my toe and I can feel pain. <laughs> I was dumped and I am able to feel the weight of my own existence. Hashtag yes, blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Transcendent experiences for me, and this happens regularly, is the feeling of a cool comforter on your bare legs. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, everyone's got their thing, I guess. <laughs> no, I love that. I can remember I've always loved that. Because I remember I was uh. <laughs> really little when I first started having my own room. Uh-huh. I had a bedtime, but my parents didn't really know if I was asleep or not. So I had this freedom. I remember just wiggling my legs under the covers and being like, this feels great. <laughs> <laughs> was that in college or? <laughs> oh, <that's- laughs> You're like, finally, I got away. <laughs> second grade i know i'm teasing you god it's the first time they let you out of their sight was when you were 18 (laughs) i like that i could i can picture that especially with with the context of it being like the first time you had your own room and that feeling of freedom or you know lack of restraint but i mean that's the thing i think people are immune or like desensitized to that kind of experience and they shouldn't be because they'd probably be happier with their lives. They wouldn't feel the need to like posture about. I feel like that's that's something that traveling does do. You know. Yeah, yeah. I actually I hate traveling. I do it quite often, but I hate it. And I learn new ways to appreciate my life when I am traveling. Yeah. <laughs> that I just you know I forget like these little pleasures that I just forget until I don't have them anymore. Right. I mean, I can definitely understand that. I think being in in a place that you're not familiar with really brings out kind of the Mm -hmm. unusual aspects of life, and it's easy to appreciate those. But I would also advocate for people to find that sense of surprise in the routine, you know? Mm -hmm. When I used to walk to work every day, I would notice the same guy riding on his bicycle every day. Hmm. There was a troll doll on his bike (laughs) That had its pants pulled down so that it was mooning you as he rode his bike towards you. (laughs) And for some reason, it was just cool. Uh I don't know. Like, I just, it was comforting that every day I would see him biking towards me. And then on the handlebar would be a little troll doll with its butt cheeks exposed, (laughs) just mooning me. I don't know. It was just weird. I liked it. People don't appreciate the troll dolls anymore. Everything's amazing. Nobody's happy. I know. People should just be happy that they're alive. What are the odds that, like, (laughs) your cluster of cells gained consciousness, you know? Hashtag blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Way to just ruin everything. God. (laughs) My cluster of cells gained consciousness. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. (laughs)
<laughs> we should start a Twitter handle. Come on, Philosophy in the Bedroom Twitter. <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. And we'll just have like a whole week of hashtag blessed jokes. <laughs> <laughs> we could go viral, maybe. Maybe not. It'll be for our own amusement. Yeah. And that's enough. And if anyone else like joins in, then we're just spreading more happiness to the world. And then also I think the funniest thing would just be like logging in to see what dumb shit you wrote and then you logging in to see what dumb <laughs> yes. shit I wrote. And then just like laughing. I, I'm already imagining them now. I, I, okay. I'm trying to think of them. I'm going to write them down. <laughs> So, update, we did start a Twitter account, it's P-I-T-B podcast, and the hashtag that we came up with is hashtag, hashtag blessed. So, hashtag the sign, and then hashtag blessed. See you next time.